he, he said, he, he motioned me over, and, and he said, uh, do you know if there's a doctor here? And my, my response was, I wasn't sure what I, if I'd heard what I thought. He said, I said, what? He, he said, is there a doctor here? Uh, do you know if there's a doctor here at the wedding? Uh, it was my, my son's wedding. My oldest son, Brian, he, he got married in the chapel at Ozark Christian College down in Joplin. Uh, I did the ceremony, so the, 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 the wedding party had walked out, and I'd walked out, I'd followed them out and stepped into the lobby, and our photographer was sitting over uh, in a chair to the side of the lobby, motioned me over and said, is there a doctor here? Now, I, I asked him what I thought was a rather... Uh, uh, insightful and pen- penetrating question. I said, uh, are you sick? Um, and this is what he said. He said, yeah, something's wrong. I don't feel right. He said, I've got this tingling down my left arm and I've been sweating profusely and it feels like there's a ton of bricks on my chest. Now, I'm not a doctor, but I've watched ER. And, uh, <laughs> and, and so I said this, this, uh, I said this to him. Do you think you're having a heart attack? Uh, and, and then two things kind of went through my mind uh, simultaneously. One of them, I was thinking, who can I get to help? Because uh, we don't roll with doctors for the most part. So I was pretty sure there wasn't a doctor at the wedding. Um, and then the second thought that came through my mind was, he had an assistant that was helping him. Uh, can she take the pictures if you're having a heart attack? I mean, the wedding must go on. The pictures have to keep going. Uh, Flowing, so so I finally thought, and I, I thought of my friend Butch Saylor, who's a, an RN uh, at uh, Mosaic, and 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 is a uh, heart attack heart attack uh, recovery uh, survivor. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. So I went in and got Butch, and he had some nitro tablets. So he gave the guy a nitro tablet, and almost instantly he started feeling better. So I'm like, all right, get back in there, dude. <laughs> we have pictures. <laughs> uh, you think I'm kidding? I really wasn't. Uh, <laughs> I kept a close eye on him. You know, if he started sweating again, I was going to shut him down. But uh, uh, <laughs> I had Rita fan him, so he was fine. <laughs> uh, when you're sick, when, when you don't feel right, when, when you know there's something wrong, you, you want to see a doctor. Uh, in Mark chapter 2, uh, Mark shares with us good news because he tells us that the doctor is in. We're actually going to... Uh, uh, Kind of save your bulletins uh, inserts for next week uh, if you want. We're we're actually going to look at this sermon over this week and next week, so we'll look half of it today. It was either a, preach a fifty minute sermon today or divide it up into two. So I decided to divide, divide it. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter two, verses thirteen to fifteen. Mark chapter two, verses thirteen, thirteen to seventeen. Excuse me. Mark chapter two, verses thirteen to seventeen. Once again. Jesus went out beside the lake, and that, that's the Sea of Galilee, Lake Gennesaret. A, a large crowd came to him and began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, or Matthew, uh, one of the gospel writers, the first gospel writer. He saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him, that, that being Jesus, followed Jesus. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, and here's kind of the key verse, this is really where we're looking at today, although we're not going to talk a lot about this verse, but it, it's the backdrop of everything we'll talk about this and next week. 
Uh, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Uh, Jesus made a point uh, in in his years of, of ministry, and you'll see that as we've already seen it in Mark, just partway through the second chapter. You're going to continue to see it as we go through this study over the next weeks. That Jesus surrounded himself with sick people, physically sick. We've already seen that he healed the the leper who threw himself at his feet. He healed the paralytic that they dropped a couple of weeks ago. We talked about dropped down through the ceiling. Jesus healed the physically sick. Was always around the physically sick, but also, and probably more importantly. Jesus also surrounded himself with those who were spiritually sick, who, who were sick in their souls and were struggling in their souls. We're going to look um, today and the next Sunday at two phrases. And both these phrases are just two-word, simple little phrases, but they are powerful and they should impact us. Here's, if you're following in, in the notes, uh, I want you to write here in that first, first comment, the scene. That's what we, we see at the first is that we see the scene. S-E-E-N. The text says that Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee. Um, and I assume he started out and maybe, maybe he had, had plans to meet people there. But, but as he walked along the Sea of Galilee and people heard him, the, the crowd just grew and grew and grew. Uh, others saw the crowd and thought, what's going on? And so they would run, probably ran down there to see what it was. Others could tell from a distance it was Jesus. I want to be there. So as he walked along the Sea of Galilee, Golly, what I envision is that he was surrounded on all sides by people. Uh, ones on his left and right and behind. And, and I imagine there were even people in front of him. I have a feeling they were walking like this, walking backwards, try, you know, looking behind, but, but they wanted to hang on every word. Now here's a little aside. I'm just curious if, cause if I, if I tried walking backwards very, very long, you know what, what happens to me? I stumble. And particularly if there's other people around me. Someone answered this to me like, I wonder if someone started to stumble. Did Jesus catch him? Did he like, nope, you're back up on your feet. Just, just a little side there. Um, but they're all around him. And here's in, in verse 14, we see the first phrase. Here's the first two-word two phrase. Uh, look in verse 14. What's it say there? As he walked along, he saw. That, that, it's kind of... We could read that and not even catch that. It, it's it's a, obviously assumed there that with what follows that he saw him, but but that is powerful, powerful certainly for Matthew, uh, but powerful powerful for us. Jesus saw. He saw. Now, when when I'm sick, when when I don't when I don't feel good, I I, I suck it up and I'm tough. Number one. Uh, no, I'm a, I'm a guy. I'm a guy. Uh, but but if I'm sick and I'm sick enough that I need to go to the doctor, this is what I do. Rita, will you call the doctor for me? Anyone, ladies, any other guys do that? I, I so usually Rita calls the doctor and sets an appointment. But on those rare occasions that for some reason she doesn't, or or maybe you know she goes to work and then I decide later I'm feeling bad and I need to call the doctor. Or she's just grumpy and says, no, you call the doctor. You're 58 years old. You call the doctor. But, uh, but, but if I call the doctor, uh, Charlotte, Charlotte, do you answer the phone when people call in? So, so you, you probably know what's going to happen next. So I call the doctor and I put on my sickest voice. <coughs> you know, they say, hello, this is such and such. And <coughs> <coughs> uh, yeah, this is, 
this is Tim Champ. I need to see a doctor. And, well, Mr. Champ, what's wrong? And, you know, I, I, I think I have pneumonia. Um, might be polio. I'm, I'm not ruling out rickets, but I'm, I'm really sick. Can I see a doctor? Now, uh, does that ever happen, Charlie? <laughs> yeah. uh, but usually it's the wives, and they're like, wow, my husband thinks he's sick again. The words that give you hope, the words that kind of pump you back up again, is if the nurse says this, well, the doctor can see you at 2 o'clock, 4 o'clock, whatever. The doctor will see you. What, what does it tell us about Jesus when we see in verse 14 that as he's walking along, he's got all these people around him, all these all these disciples, we, we, we see later on that when they went to, to Matthew's house that it says he had a bunch of disciples. So all these people that are, that are really intent to hear what Jesus has to say, they're hanging on his every word. What does it tell us about Jesus that he saw Matthew? We, we've talked about it before, um, so this is probably old territory, but let me just touch on it just in case someone has missed this. Matthew was, and it tells us here, he was a, a, a tax collector. Uh, Short, short background, their tax collectors were, uh, were, were seen as about as bad as anyone. In fact, it, it describes later on that he said, ta- uh, the, the Pharisees said, well, he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. They, they were all lumped together. Tax collectors were, were jo- Jews that had chosen to work with Rome, uh, and, and they were seen by their fellow Jews as turncoats. They, they were working for and with the enemy. And, and you can just assume that most of these tax collectors were also having a spiritual crisis because of what they had chosen to do. They were probably outcast in their synagogue. So, so, so their choice to serve Rome and to work for Rome was also a choice to, at least in people's minds, if it wasn't really in their spirit, to walk away from God. That's how they were, uh, that's how they were seen. Uh, so, so what we see here first is that Jesus saw, he saw the, the person. Now Matthew, Matthew was at the uh, this this tax collector's booth, and I'm not exactly sure it happened as the or how it happened as the the crowd walked along the Sea of Galilee. Maybe maybe they started to approach the 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 little tax collector booth where where Matthew was at, where some crossroads had crossed, and and maybe they literally as they approached their the the mob enveloped Matthew. Uh, that's what I kind of think what is what happened they that you know they were stepping around his tax collector booth and even though he was surrounded by all kinds of people no one saw him uh in, in fact if they even noticed him they made sure not to even touch him because maybe as they walked by they gave him a little kick in the shin or or, or leaned in and elbowed or, or shouldered him a little bit but basically they they certainly didn't see matthew but i think matthew saw jesus I know that because when Jesus says later, uh, we'll talk about this next week more, when Jesus says, follow me, he got up and followed him. So I, I, I think he knew who Jesus was. Maybe he was standing on the outside of the crowd when that, that, paraly- or that uh, uh, young man with leprosy threw himself at Jesus' feet. And Matthew might have thought at that point, man, if Jesus would touch, Jesus would touch a, a leper and give him health, maybe he would, maybe he would touch me when he, Maybe he was standing in the doorway when they, they dropped that paralytic down through the roof. And, and, and Matthew, man, if Jesus would offer him forgiveness, maybe, just maybe he would offer that to me. But Matthew sat there, I'm, I'm positive, 
sat there in that tax collection and this is what he was thinking. No one sees me. No one cares about me. No one even worries about my, my personhood. No one cares at all about me. Do you sometimes feel that way? Are there times in your life where you feel like no one sees you or no one, no one cares, no one values you? One of the things we see in Scripture, and I think it's one of the things that comes out of this passage, it's one of the powerful things that come out of these two words, he saw, is that, that Jesus came to preach good news that God sees us. There is good news to know that God sees you, that he values you. Jesus, uh, in uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 30, uh, you, you look in that, that whole context, but uh, you, you might remember this. He, he tells the story, or basically he, he lets us know how much God values, how, how God sees you with such value. And, and Jesus says that God even has the hairs on your head numbered. Now, for, for some of us, that's not that big a deal that God could have that. Rita's got the hairs on my head numbered. Uh, but, but for some, do you, do you realize, how many blondes do we have? Naturally blondes, by the way. How many naturally blondes? In case you're going to count that, okay. We, we have, do you know, as a blonde, you have 150, on average, 150,000 uh, hairs on your head. Now, I know several blondes didn't raise their hand that they're naturally blonde, but uh, I'm not judging. Uh, if, if you're red hair, red hairs, redheads have 90,000 hairs, and brown or black average 100 to 110,000 hairs on their head. And Jesus says, and, and why did he say that? Because he's telling us God cares so much that he even knows how many hairs you have. It's what we see here. He, he saw when no one else saw, he saw. Now, I hope that this doesn't happen. This is my prayer. In fact, if this happens, I'm going to feel really guilty and really bad. But if, if someone would die tonight, uh, please don't because I'm going to feel really guilty. But would you do this? The first question you ask God. Uh, and, and there's a lot of them. God, why'd you make mosquitoes? Why ticks, God? Uh, or maybe, you know, you might have more philosophical questions than that. But, but there's a bunch of questions I want to ask God when I get up there. But if, but if you happen to be the first one there from our group here, would you ask God, hey God, how many hairs do I have on my head? Wouldn't that be a cool question? Because I, I intend on, when I get up there, I'm going to ask God, how many hairs do I have on my head? And this is what God's going to say. God's going to say, well, you used to have 20,000. But Philippians tells us that when we go, when, when we go to heaven, we're going to get a new glorified body. So do you realize that, hey guys, some of us, we're, I think we're going to have full heads of hair again. In fact, I need to get one of my, I need to get my senior picture, our wedding, I got a wedding picture, I'll show you my wallet. So, cause you won't recognize me with full head of hair, I had bangs and you know, it's really cool. And, uh, I need to show you that, so when you get to heaven, you'll, you know, and I, you know, I say, hey, how you doing? You'll know who I am. Uh, so God's going to say, used to have, but now you have. Uh, but why does, why? <laughs> because he so values us that he knows the heads, the hairs on our head. And, and he so valued Matthew, who thought no one even saw him, that when surrounded by people that were supporting Jesus and probably praising Jesus and hanging on every words, is every word he saw him. Uh, last Monday night, a group of our uh, group here from uh, from Troy went over to the Haven House. First of all, uh, thank you to everyone that's been helping out with that. We've 
We've got people that have donated uh, a hamburger, people that have baked cakes, people that have, have gone over and actually served. And, and uh, we, we, we appreciate you guys doing that, and we're going to keep doing that once a month. So, uh, so I'd encourage you to keep on, on helping us out that way. But we had a great time. Last Monday, we're just about getting ready to serve, and, and Chad uh, Winder was going to meet us there. Uh, I told you I was going to embarrass you. Chad Winder was going to meet us there uh, when he got off work. So he got there. We are going to serve at 5. You got there about 10 till 5 or 5 till 5, something like that. Uh, I'd been out in the, the lobby talking to someone, and I came in, and Chad was standing in the uh, uh, in the kitchen, and he had his gloves on. He got to wear gloves. He had his gloves on. He's standing there like this, like, I got my gloves. Tell me what to do. So I told him what to do. <laughs> I said, <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm sorry, my mind went, <laughs> went somewhere, shouldn't have gone. Uh, so I said, I, I said, do nachos, do nachos. So so Chad started filling the nacho trays and the cheese. And, and when we started serving, as people would go through the line and go sit down, Chad had his nacho tray and, you know, nachos. You want uh, jalapenos with those? And, 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 and so he passed out. So we did that till everyone got served. And then Chad did it a little bit longer because there were guys that, that doubled up on their nachos. And when finally all that was done, and in fact, our crew had kind of stopped and some, some of us were eating and some... One of our crew ate a piece of cake first and before anyone else did. I don't know who that was. <laughs> but uh, I want to make sure Rita's cake was good. And, uh, and it was. Uh, so, so I walk back out, and, and I'm talking to some guys, and I look, and Chad's sitting at one of the tables, and he's talking to a guy. And so I walk by actually a couple times, talking to different ones, and, and, and I caught just enough of the conversation. Uh, to find out that Chad was talking to this guy about basketball. Yeah, yeah, I used to play at the, I asked him about it, the Munchenberger Center. And turned out Chad knew that some of this guy's family had played some ball with some of this guy's family. And now, now you might have looked out there and saw Chad sitting at a table talking to a guy and thought, well, there's Chad talking to a guy. But you know what I saw? I saw Jesus. Here's a guy that, I would assume, feels like no one sees him and no one cares and no one even knows he exists. But that night, there's a guy sitting across from him talking normal stuff. Talking to him like a friend, like like he's an old high school buddy talking about the good old days when we played basketball in the six foot and under league. That was, that was Jesus. See, Chad saw him and was speaking into his heart, brother, I, brother, I see you. Brother, I see you. Uh, Jesus, Jesus saw Matthew. He saw him. Uh, he saw the person. He also saw the, the potential. Now it's kind of a toss up. Who would be the least likely person you would choose to be an apostle, to write a gospel, and to be one of the ones responsible for spreading your word through all the world? Who would, who would be the least likely you would choose? Would it be a fisherman, uh, who was probably somewhat uneducated, maybe a little bit foul mouthed and smelled like rotten fish? Or would you choose a tax collector? Kind of a, kind of a toss up. Actually, it wasn't a toss up. Because you would pick every day a uneducated, foul-mouthed, smelly fisherman over a tax collector. And the truth was, no one would have ever picked a fisherman either. And yet Jesus 
saw Matthew and saw his potential and chose him. See, Jesus doesn't see doesn't see who we used to be or who we are now. He sees what we can become. It doesn't matter today if you see yourself as a tax collector or if you see yourself as a Pharisee, Jesus sees who you can become in Him. Whether you're self-loathing or self-righteous, He sees what you can be through Him. He sees the person. He sees the potential. And, and one last thing. Jesus saw... Uh, and it's going to sound like I'm contradicting myself a little bit here. Jesus saw the past. He, when he saw Matthew, he's, how could he not know who Matthew was? How could he not know Matthew's past? How could he not know that Matthew basically had made a life choice that had separated him from his faith? He, D, Jesus knew who Matthew was. He saw his past. But catch this, he didn't judge. When he called Matthew... Matthew got up, we know from the text, Matthew got up and, and basically quit his job on the spot, walked away from his position, one he could probably never come back to now. Matthew walked away from his position and he followed Jesus. Now, if you have your Bibles open to Mark chapter 2, and as I've mentioned a few times, I want to encourage you to bring your Bibles, have them open so you can answer questions like this. Um, we see that Jesus said, follow me. Matthew got up and followed him. What happens next? Someone answer this out loud. I'm asking, really asking, what happens next after Matthew started following him? What? Jesus went and ate with him. What happened? Matthew threw a party. Matthew threw a party for Jesus. Luke tells us, uh, Luke describes it this way, that he threw a great banquet for, for Jesus and all of his followers. Now, who did Matthew invite to the party? Sinners and tax collectors. Now, I guess I could have understood if Jesus had said, Matthew, follow me. And when he got up and followed him, I could have understood if Jesus said, okay, now, Matthew, you've got to say goodbye to all your friends. I don't want you associating with those sinners. You're a disciple now. You're in the training course to be an apostle. Matthew, I know you can't understand this, but someday you're going to write the Gospel of Matthew that will tell about me. Matthew, you've got to walk away from all of all of the, your past friends, all those, those people that you've known all the, the, these years. But instead, what we see is that he, he saw his past, he knew what he was, but he didn't judge him. And, and, and I know that because the first thing that Matthew does is says, Jesus, can, can I throw a banquet for you? And can I invite my friends? Now, now the truth is, I, I understand this, the truth is Matthew ended up leaving those friends because he went on to, to work with Jesus and to study under him for three years, so he traveled all about. But, but, but I have a feeling every time they were back in Galilee, Matthew saw his old buddies and, and talked. And we'll talk a little bit more about that next week on what that might look like. But, uh, but he threw a party. And Jesus saw his past but didn't seem to care about it. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking. That just doesn't sound right. Jesus didn't care. Jesus didn't care about what he used to do. He didn't care about who he used to be. Uh, now, now, don't misunderstand. Jesus calls us, Jesus calls us as sinners to be sanctified. 
the idea of sanctification means that we that we're growing, that we're becoming like Christ, that we're becoming holy, that we're becoming more like a reflection of Him. But see, see, we're called as sinners, but but we're we're called to change to saints. We we come to Him broken, but He wants to fix us. We come to Him hopeless, and He wants to give us hope. We come to Him uh, uh, w- w- lost, and He wants to, us to be found. We come to Him blind, and He wants to give us sight. See, He. He called Matthew where he was, but Jesus was okay with that. But he wasn't supposed to stay where he was. See, that's the key, guys. Jesus calls us where we are. And that's true from our first call to, to when Jesus speaks to our heart daily in our walk with him. Jesus calls us right where we are, but he doesn't expect us to stay there. Let me, let me illustrate this way. Uh, our oldest son, Brian, how old is Brian? 35? 36? 36. Oh, son, Brian's 36. I remember when we brought him home from the hospital. What a wonderful day. In fact, Rita's mom came home from the hospital with us, stayed for a week or two. And, and I'm sure, I'm sure in that time her mom was there. And I know definitely after the time her mom was there that, can I pat myself on the back? I, uh, I helped with changing diapers and stuff. Just kind of guy I'm in. I am. Or Rita said, you're going to change diapers. I don't care your dad never touched a diaper. You are. Uh, so I learned how to change diapers. And, you know, it, I remember Brian laying there and grabbing his legs and picking him up and pulling the diaper out and cleaning up and putting diaper ass stuff on and powder and flip. Now, now I, we were still in college. I was still in college. We were dirt poor. And uh, some of you don't even know what this is. But we use cloth diapers. Any of you have cloth, use cloth diapers? <laughs> yeah. I don't even think you can buy, they're great dust rags now, but I don't even know if you can buy them now. Uh, but we, we were poor. You want to smell something. Back me up on this, guys. Take the lid off a diaper pair where you've got cloth diapers soaking. Woohoo! If you were clogged up, you weren't clogged up once that, 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 that ammonia hit you. That, oh man, it was something else. But, but, but I, you know, I changed his, his diaper. Now, here's the reality is, when we brought him home from the hospital, we accepted him that way. We knew that we were going to have to change his diapers. We knew that he came unequipped to change his diapers, unequipped to eat, unequipped to bathe himself, unequipped to do anything but cry. And and so we accepted him that way. Two weeks ago, Reed and I drove down to Tulsa. We went down Friday night, came back Saturday night uh, to see to see Brian and, and actually to watch his son play basketball and and so, so we went down and, and, uh, and saw him. There would have been something terribly, terribly wrong if while we were there, sometime during the evening, if Brian had kind of walked over to a corner and stepped behind the, the recliner. Maybe you have kids that did this and then, <clears throat> and then come over and with a diaper and a, and, and, and the wipes in his hands said, Dad, will you change me? And then lay on the floor and stick his legs up in the air. There would have been something. I mean, I'd gotten the car and left. There'd been something fundamentally wrong with that. Now, 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 here's the truth. I've, I've been proud. I had many proud moments of my son when, when he got promoted from sixth grade to, to junior high. It's kind of a big deal in our school district. They have a little graduation thing. That was a proud moment when, when he caught his first touchdown pass. That was a, that was a great moment. Derek. When he, when, as a senior, he caught his 12th interception, setting a record. Man, that was a proud moment. When he graduated high school, that, 
proud moment. Graduated, got married, and graduated. All proud moments. But I don't think I had a prouder moment of my son. And, and it looks up like this. Good job, buddy. <laughs> we're in the bathroom and we're looking at the toilet. And, Rita, you got to come see this. Wow, this is great. I don't know. You know what I'm talking about. I don't think I had a prouder moment. Because, see, we accepted him that he needed his diaper changed and all that kind of stuff. But, but we expected him to go from diapers to uh, superhero underwear. And then later on to Calvin Klein or whatever. We expected that's what would happen. We expected him to grow up. We expected him to mature. We are accepted where we are. So when Matthew, when Jesus said to Matthew, follow me, he saw him, and he saw him right where he was, and he didn't judge him. And that's why he let him have a party and bring all of his all his friends, and we'll talk a little bit more next week about that, but brought them all in there. He didn't judge him on where he was, but he certainly expected him to grow. Jesus, two applications and we're done. Jesus accepts us where we are. Uh, Romans 5.8 says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God knew, Jesus knew that we would never be good enough. He, he knew me personally that I would never be able to do enough to to earn his his righteousness, to earn his salvation, to earn his grace. He knew that. So while I was still a sinner, Jesus said, hey, I got this. I'll take care of it. Let my grace cover you. I'll take you right where you are. I accept you where you are. But I want you to grow up. I want you to mature. And in second application, we're, we're to do likewise. We're, we are to see people where they are. So that's really what Chad was doing Monday night. He sat down across a guy that's had a rough life. Maybe it's probably his life's rough because of choices he's made. Let's just be honest, probably because of sin in his life. But Chad sat across to him and, and really what he was screaming was, I see you. I see you. Jesus saw Matthew, his person, his potential. Also his past, but he didn't judge him on that. Rebecca O'Connor will close here. Rebecca O'Connor was a nurse at New York Presbyterian Hospital. Uh, several years ago, when the, the uh, she was working there when the, the tsunami hit uh, hit the Asian coast, and she she watched in horror as those scenes uh, unveiled. Maybe you you remember some of that and dead bodies laying along the street and the hurt and and struggling there and. And she knew she had to do something about it. So her and eight other medical profession, professionals boarded a flight and flew to Sri Lanka. And, and they set up in a, uh, in, in, actually in a mosque in Sri Lanka and began to see people. Uh, and every day they would see upwards to 100 people, treating them for respiratory problems and cuts and bruises and all kinds of different things. Uh, about halfway through their stay there, they, they realized that just down the street, only a couple blocks was a hospital. And so they began to ask the people when they came in, so well, why are you coming here? Why aren't you going to the hospital? And they said, well, almost to a person, they would say, well, we've been to the hospital, but when we go there, they hand us paperwork, and they want us to fill out paperwork, and then we sit and we wait and we wait and we wait. But when we come here to your clinic, you see us. You see us. 
This morning I was uh, practicing my sermon. If you ever would drive up my driveway on Sunday morning and see a guy standing in his garage just waving his arms, that's me practicing my sermon. So I, I was there this morning. And I go out in my garage. I have a ritual. I go in my garage and I turn my radio off. I have, have an old radio. I do this because Rita's dad had an old radio playing in his garage. And so I started doing it years and years ago. I've got a radio that's tuned to K-Love because my dogs like K-Love. So um, that way they can you know, sing praises when they're out in the garage. And, and uh, so I go in and I turn the radio off and I, I practice my sermon. And when I was done, I thought, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn the radio back on. Uh, I, I kid you not. I, I love these God moments. I turned the radio on and uh, Caleb came on and it was Hillary Scott singing the song, Thy Will Be Done. And she was on the last line of the song. And it says this, I know you see me. I know you hear me, Lord. Should have had you come up and sing that silence. But I thought, wow, I know you see me. He sees us. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that, uh, that we're seen. Father, I thank you that no matter where we are, what we've done, what the pain is in our life, what the struggle is, uh, you see us. Father, you know where, where we, we each of us are at this very moment. Uh, even uh, if we're followers, Father, you know exactly where we are, uh, and you're okay. But you do ask us, Father, to, uh, to change. You ask us to become like you. You ask us to grow and be like your son. Father, we, we ask this morning that you encourage us with that simple knowledge that we are seen by you and known by you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here this morning and and you don't know the the news that Jesus went to the cross for you, that God cared so much of you, not just to number the hairs on your head, but to go to the cross and die for you so that you could have salvation. If if you don't know that truth, then I'd invite you to come. Maybe you're here this morning and and you know that truth. Maybe you accepted Jesus, but you still just feel a little bit like Matthew sitting at that sitting at that tax collector booth does anyone really know i'm here does anyone really care let me encourage you to know with this truth that he sees you you need to come we'd ask you to come as we stand